0: Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Thank you, Bella, for inviting me to come on talk on the Sounds of Integration podcast. Um, thank you ever so much. My name is Jason Oliver and I work at the Scottish Crannog Centre. I have many kind of roles there. I do lots of different things, but mainly I do experimental archeology. span And that is to recreate things from the past to try and see how they were made and comparing it to archeological evidence. And by making the objects, we come to understand them and it improves our storytelling about the people of the past. So that's what I do. I work specifically with textiles, um, but I also work with pottery as well. So, so that, that's really an overview of what I do. It's a really exciting job. It's very dynamic. I meet lots of people. I work with many kind of weavers and textile people from all over the world. And uh, it's a job I really love. Anyway, today, I want to talk about what we could go back to coming out of COVID now that it's, it's changed and things are changing back to what they were. And when people talk about going back to the normal, I think we really should talk about instead of going back to the normal, what we could go back to, and how we can do that by changing our relationships to each other and also the communities that we belong to. And I suggest that we can do this by breaking down binary structures in society. And the other one thing I want to talk about is radical politics. So for example, when someone who is trans chooses which space they want to enter safely, or if someone who is non-binary tells me their preferred pronouns, this is not or should not be radical politics. This is basic human rights and awareness of that person's humanity. So this really echoes what I mean about breaking down binary structures in society, and I think that really is a way of healing and a way of, of moving forward. So One of the definitions of the word radical is springing directly from the root or stem base of a plant. So I think at this point, what I will do is I'll I'll kind of go back to my roots and um, talk about my family, you know, where I came from. So our family is working class. And I remember sitting at home at the top of the stairs when my father came home and told my mum that he'd been made redundant. And I was unaware during that period that we had 10 pound per week to spend on food, but my mom and dad never told me that. So those are my roots. And I was the first person in my family to go to university. And I was very fortunate to end up at the Royal College of Arts. I remember when I went for the interview, I really didn't think I was gonna get in and I saw it almost as a, as a practice run and I was, I suppose, maybe a bit too casual, but I was casual during the interview. And I told my story and showed a few pieces of work. And uh, maybe the way I can put it is I was professionally unprofessional. (laughs) However, um, I was very surprised again, and that was absolutely brilliant. Um, I enjoyed my experience there. I think until one day when uh, one of the students bought in a homeless person signs off them for five pound and that guy's name was david i think it's important to to name people and the students put it in the the royal college of art gallery so it's a big marble gallery and it's really really beautiful marble floors and white marble walls and very high ceilings it's a very um, it's a very imposing contemporary space and there was all the students were gathered round and there was lots of art speak and it was really uncomfortable to, to see. And I remember there were a couple of people there that were looking at it, thinking, you know, that this this isn't right. My, my kind of, I think my feeling at the time, in a sense, that this person's story had been ripped from their territory, i.e., the place that they lived, and been a, a, had been abstracted into the gallery space. And it had been abstracted both visually and I think verbally, I would say emotionally and spiritually. And I think, you know, to top that off, that David probably wouldn't be allowed into the gallery either. And I think how much was it sold for, like £1,000 or something like that? And I think at that point, for me, the cracks started to show, you know, what does contemporary art mean? How does it relate to people's stories? How does it relate to the territories that, that people have come from, where they live? And how does contemporary art function in society? What does it do? So... At that point, I did a little research into why fine art, capital F, capital A became itself. So 300 years ago, um, the white elites defined what constituted art with a capital A. And craft and art were separated into a binary state. Craft was what the working class people did or the peasants did, and the fine art was what the, the white elites did. And this idea of fine art became an unchallenged idea that was taken around the world as a part of uh, colonization. And this happened kind of almost around the time of the Industrial Revolution. So we have large paintings um, that you can see in most galleries. An example is uh, one by uh, David Allen. Called Sir John Halkett of Pitfinney, and just to describe that image, it is a large image, huge, and maybe I don't know, ten feet across, something like that. And it is of a very well-dressed white family that are standing on top of a hill, overlooking a vast area of land, and there's mist coming up from the ground, and they are all partying. And the the image, you know, the women are, are sitting there serving the food and and are sitting down and the man's standing up with his cane, you know, kind of dominating the landscape. And th- there's lots of pictures like this. You can go into any art gallery and look for the rooms that are painted red because they tend to be hung in there and they've got these big gold ornate frames. But it is a facade that doesn't tell the whole story. These people own the land and they are demonstrating their ownership of it, but they're not talking about in the image working class experience, black experience, they're not talking about slavery, they're not talking about anything of that. It's just this kind of advert for these people, advert for um, the upper echelons of society. So in these, these kind of large galleries, which are painted red, when we go in, we must also act like it's some kind of hallowed space that we go in, Paintings are positioned high up on the gallery walls. We have to crane our neck up, or it's be quiet. You know, we must look up at these things like we're in a church. And again, you know, it's the stories of the people of that landscape who have been brought to that landscape. They have been deleted from history. So why are we meant to be quiet in galleries? Why can't we collapse the art craft binary and fill the galleries with craft makers of all walks of life, making a mess and making the gallery noisy and creative? So craft is a thing that connects us back to the land and brings everything back to its stories, territories and contexts. So we now live in a world really that's curated stories which are divorced from the territories to which they belong. The press, the politicians and the media control these stories. And I think in a sense, social media allows us to self-curate inauthentic stories, presenting ourselves as we want to be seen. And I think this was especially seen during the pandemic, maybe with the the anti-vaxxers, there was a storming of Capitol Hill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These inauthentic stories that drive the narrative. And conspiracy theories I think are also seen as, uh, maybe they are, they're also a form of control and they send people down rabbit holes. And as I said, this was uh, especially seen during lockdown. And I can just think of these images of the people at Capitol Hill You know, they'd storm the building and there was the guy with the the big headdress on and, you know, and it's all this kind of narrative that have been churned up online. However, stories cannot be controlled. And I think controlled stories are what has brought us to this time of climate crisis. And how do we stop nourishing this capitalist practice where spectacle, nostalgia and controlled narratives have been the dominant stories of our time? and return back to our territories, our communities, and our relationships with each other. So capitalism functions in straight lines, inputs and outputs. And whether that be the mass production of objects with the mantra being, how much can you make? How long will it take? It takes a giant leap of faith to think differently about what is important and what we need to leave behind. And as a result of this, and one of the, I suppose, the side effects of capitalism, is that at work we're expected to split ourselves into a binary structure. We have our authentic home life and then we split it into a work persona which we walk into work with. So why do we do this? Because if we don't wear that persona, we aren't generating income. And it's called being professional, but it reeks of inauthenticity. So I work in a museum which functions differently from this model. And I'm using this as an example because of personal experience but it similarly could be a, a model for any kind of community. So we take this straight line, This one, this looks like an arrow, and we turn it and we make it into a circle. And a circle always has a different kind of ecology and it is human-centered and it allows for failure as well as for success. However, we work with funding that works in straight lines. We make the application, we specify the outputs and outcomes, and we work towards that goal. And as we see solutions to the climate crisis, should we really be mirroring this capitalist model that's got us into trouble in the first place? At the museum, we create circles with our funding that creates multiple points of exit and entry. So if you imagine lots of circles all dotted around and then arrows coming in and out. That's how we take this straight line funding and make it into something where we create a container where brilliant things can happen. But how does this straight line feed itself? It cannot, but a circle makes much more space and feeds itself with the values that are shared with others. It should create a warm space of conviviality and trust where stories can be heard, held, and carried and shared. And it has entry and exit points connecting with other circles, such as UNESCO Reader, for example. And a circle is a space in which we can sit. The unusual nowadays is we tend to sit in straight lines in theatres, office spaces. Even on Zoom, we're sitting in straight lines. And work spaces are always set up so we're behind walls that lack connection and interaction. But communities are like circles. They are full of energy, which makes them wobble. And they are spaces where we're all transforming each other. Circles are also not like triangles. Triangles support hierarchies and circles collapse them and they collapse binary structures, which are walls that divide people. The binary systems then collapse and become something else. They are spaces for authentic storytelling and fearless randomness, which embraces the human experience in all its flaws and successes. If you think about a three-dimensional circular structure, we have a well, a well is a circular structure. And it contains the knowledge about what was and what things could be, a nourishing, refreshing space from which we could all drink, fed by rivers of stories that flow through time and across spaces and places, connecting us and other people back to their territories. So let us return back to the beginning in this big circle. The root of a plant will intelligently reach towards things that nourishes it and away from things that are toxic. And we, like the plants and trees are all interconnected by our stories which flow like rivers, feeding wells which we can all drink from. We are non-linear beings who can resist straight lines and binary structures. So so as we look forward to the future, I think it's um, been interesting to reflect on, are we going to continue accepting the government's kind of capitalist model of generating wealth, whilst pretending to have green solutions to the present crisis. Maybe we should focus our attention back to our territories and on shared stories with gift economies and mutual aid as our currency. Surely this is a true act of radical resistance and a way of not going back to normal. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts. A podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.